Well, hey, welcome to the first Sunday of 2021. If you survived uh, the last year, you are basically indestructible. So welcome uh, to church. We're glad to have you at the house of God. Uh, I, I stayed up, I don't know about you, but I stayed up on New Year's Eve not to see the fireworks because, of course, there was none this year, but just to make sure 2020 left, and it has, and the new year uh, has come. And if you need a word from the Lord, it's this, anything is better than last year, saith the Lord. And so just receive that as a promise. We're going ahead, we're going forward, and uh, we're believing God uh, for some uh, new things. Uh, you know, as a people of faith, as a people of, of Christian community, we have just determined ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and to put our hope in him. Scripture says it this way, some trust in chariots, others trust in horses, we will trust in the name of the Lord. Of course, that scripture was written in a season in which chariots and horses were kind of the primary vehicles of, of, of military might. They really represented what it looked like to be strong and powerful. I think in our world today, it would, it would look a little like this. Some put their trust in technology. Some put their faith in stimulus, but we will put our hope in the name of the Lord. And I'm thankful for stimulus. They send it all to me. I'm thankful. Uh, but ultimately, our trust, our hope, our faith is in the rock that is higher than I. Friend, we are planted on a rock that is unshakable. It is unmovable. The kingdom of God is advancing by force. God is doing something incredible in the Northwest. If you are here, you are here on purpose, with purpose, to see the kingdom of God expand in ways that you have never seen before. We declare over this house and over your house exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. That is what God will do. That your new year is dripping in favor. It is dripping in purpose. Your cup will overflow. God is your shepherd. You are not in need. Come on, when you come into alignment with what scripture says about your life, it produces confidence and courage for you not to be a victim of your story, not to be an observer in the church, but to be a participant in God's kingdom. And so we're going to make some choices today to be everything that God says we are, to be nothing that he says we're not, and to walk in a way that honors the high call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Friend, whether you ever stand behind a pulpit and preach, there is a high call of God on your life. There is something for you to do. More importantly, there is something for you to be. Whether you find yourself working in tech, making coffee, raising kids, staying home, homeschooling kids that you want to choke, whatever it is, there's a God who is working out something good in your life. Come on, anybody say amen this morning? You believe that for your life? Come on, if you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Hey, this morning we're going to spend some time in this gospel. It's written by an outsider, a Gentile, somebody who observes the life of Christ and writes in a way that definitively proves his deity, his lordship, and his authority over all, both foreign governments, local governments, and the government of the spiritual realm. And so Luke is proving this point that Jesus is the highest name and the highest authority. Luke is a doctor. He writes about uh, Jesus in a very prescriptive fashion. He includes details in his book that other books skip out on because of the way that he's hardwired. And he writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Friend, 2021 would be a really good year for you to adopt a really high view of the Word of God. 
You know what I find is sometimes people read the Word of God and it's only the things that encourage them that they believe are inspired. Everything else, they just cut out, copy and paste, put it somewhere else. No, God certainly couldn't mean that. I just want all of the blessings, but none of the judgment. I just want all of the blessings, but none of the righteousness. I just want all the stuff that makes me feel good and affirms all of my life choices, but nothing that separates bone and marrow, nothing that calls me to a higher standard, a different way of living. And can I tell you, every word of Scripture is equally inspired. Not every word of scripture is equally applicable, but every word of scripture is equally inspired. In the beginning, God is just as inspired as John 3.16. Come on, every scripture in this book is in there on purpose, with purpose for your life. And I believe one of the threats that we face in our world today is not big government, is not big tech, it's Christians with a low view of scripture. My life is founded on the word. It's founded on the word of God. Well, I can receive revelation a lot of ways, but if you want to hear the audible voice of God, just go ahead, read your Bible out loud. You'll hear it. This is the voice of God for our lives today. It doesn't mean God can't speak other ways, but when we drift from the Word, friend, you don't drift towards orthodoxy. You drift away from it. You don't drift towards righteousness. You drift away from it. And what I found today is people have deconstructed their view of God in light of culture instead of deconstructing culture in light of Scripture. If you go deconstruct something, deconstruct your own culture. But let the Bible be true and every man be a liar. Every word is inspired. Oh, it would be a good year to adopt a high view of Scripture. Now watch what happened. Luke 5, starting in verse 1. And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now oftentimes in ancient literature, what you will find is a lot of different names used for the same geographic location. Now, the Lake of Gennesaret also goes by another name, the Sea of Tiberias. It also goes by another name that you're more familiar with, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus does most of his earthly ministry for three and a half years around the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. I've had the privilege of walking where Jesus walked. And, and we're going to take a church-wide trip as soon as some of the airlines clear up and as soon as everybody gets the mandatory vaccine and the chip in their hand and all sorts of other things. <laughs> Once everything opens back up, we can go back to Israel. I want to take you there with me because there's something that happens in your heart when you walk into Holy Land. You recognize, watch, this is good. You recognize that as holy as it is over there is to the same degree the amount of holy that we have here because God is no respecter of persons. And the same Jesus who walked in Jerusalem walks in Snohomish. You'll get that later. Watch it on the replay. You'll get it, but it's good. <laughs> now watch what happens. Jesus is ministering around the Sea of Galilee. And if you look around the Sea of Galilee and the trails and the roads that link all of the different villages and cities, the small fishing villages that surround that body of water, what you'll find is that a vast majority of the public ministry of Jesus involved a 30-mile circumference. He didn't have a passport book with all of the stamps of the different nations he'd been to, a wall with all of the conference invites he'd, that, that he had been a part of, all of the lanyards from all of the different Christian events and all of the green rooms that he had sat in. He had a 30-mile ministry, which tells me this, it's not the scope of your influence, it's the depth of your impact. And some of us have traded depth for width and called it success. And could this be a year of you and I growing deep in the Sea of Galilee? Could this be a year of you and 
alive, planting roots? Could this be a year of you and I honoring the house of God, showing up, getting fed, developed, sent out, inspired, encouraged? Could this be a year of us pastoring our families? Could this be a year of reaching our communities? Could this be a year where we reject the titled success of what culture tells us and instead adopt what it looks like to live a biblically-centric life? <laughs> Watch, the kingdom of the world is upside down. Jesus says, in order to live, you must die. In order to be rich, you must be poor. In order to lead, you must serve. In order to be great, you must be small. Jesus is flipping the script on what the world says success looks like. And I'll tell you what, we ought to be careful not to allow the world's way of identifying success to become the metric for how we measure the effectiveness of the church. The effectiveness of the church is not measured by its seating power, but by its sending power. It's not our width, it's our depth. Let's grow deep, let's plant roots deep so that when the cares of life come, when the fears of life come, when the tragedies of life come, when the difficulties of life come, what it finds is that we're planted on a rock, unmoved and unshaken. Now watch what happened in verse 2. The Bible says this, In Jesus, he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them. They were washing their nets because they were, they were done working for the day. In verse 3, the Bible says this, And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down. I love this. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. Let me show you what's happening this morning. Jesus would get on boats and, and he would push out from the shore just a little bit, 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, and it would create a natural amplification of his voice. Just to be able to speak loud enough for the crowds to hear. Sometimes Jesus is speaking to dozens. Sometimes hundreds. Sometimes thousands. Sometimes just religious leaders. Sometimes just his disciples. But Jesus would push out on the water and it would create a natural microphone to amplify his voice so that regardless of where you were standing, you could hear the master teach. But something more important is happening in this verse and I want to draw your attention to it. The Bible says, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. One dissertation says it this way, the rabbis always taught from a seated position. In the vernacular of first century Judaism, a rabbi sitting down is the equivalent of a pastor stepping up to a pulpit. The phrase he sat and taught appears commonly in rabbinical literature to refer to a rabbi teaching on the subject of the Torah. See, that explains why his disciples gathered around him when they saw him sit down. It was their job to learn as the master was ready to teach. Watch. That's why Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a position of rest, it's a position of authority, and it's a position of scholarship. Meaning this, the rabbi is still teaching. And that's why the cry of the book of Revelation is, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And Jesus ascends to heaven after his resurrection, prior to Pentecost. The Bible says he is seated at the right hand of the Father, receiving all glory, all honor, and all power. See, in our culture, we read that, and it doesn't necessarily make sense. But in first century Judaism, when a rabbi would sit to teach, all of a sudden, a hush would come on the crowd. Why? Because somebody with authority, somebody with rest, and somebody with scholarship was about to release words that you could build your life upon. And I've said this before, but it bears repeating. The great question in our world today is not, is God still speaking? It's, are His people still listening? And as the rabbi teaches, 
as the rabbi shares, as the great rabbi of heaven, the great carpenter of heaven, Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, as he sits down to teach, a river of life flows from his throne. Friend, this is why we worship the way that we do. Watch. Scripture says that worship creates a throne or a seat for Christ to sit upon. That's what it means when Scripture says he is enthroned. Another way that you could say that is he is seated on the praise of his people. And a few years ago, I had a man come up, come up to me after service and try to give me a compliment about my preaching. You know how like when people try to give you compliments, but it's not really a compliment, you just say, bless your heart and send them on their way? It was one of those. <laughs> he said, Pastor, the preaching was great. It was phenomenal. Never heard anything like it. I'm like, now I know you're lying. I know you're already lying. He said, but I've got some advice. Oh, boy. He said, to worship, not so much. He said, next time, could we just skip the worship and just have you preach the whole time instead? I said to him, listen, sir, a thousand times I've skipped preaching just to worship. But never once will all skip worship just to preach. Because when we worship, it creates a throne for Jesus to sit in our midst. And when Jesus sits in our midst, the preacher can drop a bomb. When Jesus sits in our midst, the preacher can say, Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. When Jesus sits in our midst, it matters not what I say because the King of glory is here. And the Holy Spirit will translate my words to your heart and change your life. <laughs> Oh, I found that it's so interesting with preaching. It's so interesting with preaching. Scripture says it's the foolishness of preaching. It's the foolishness of public communication that draws people unto God. I found it time and time again. I'll preach on love and somebody says, Pastor, that was the greatest sermon on generosity I've ever heard. I'll preach on generosity. Somebody says, that's the greatest message on friendship I've ever heard. What I understand is the Holy Spirit is translating my words in this environment because the King of Glory is here. Meaning this, God is tailoring this message for what you need today. God is tailoring these words, not because I'm significant, but because he's significant. And when we create a throne of glory, he sits right down in the midst of us. And when the rabbi sits, all of a sudden, even the angels peer in with interest. What's the rabbi going to say today? Listen, friend, I'm not the rabbi. He is. And when he sits on his throne that we create with our praise, it creates a place of impartation and revelation. Now in verse 4, watch. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we toiled all night and we have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You know, every once in a while when I'm preaching, we will talk about the original languages that Scripture is written in in order to better understand what the text is trying to communicate. The way that we call that in theological terms is the authorial intent. What is the intent of the author? What are they trying to communicate here? And since the New Testament is written in Greek, oftentimes we go back to the Greek language to understand what these phrases are communicating. And this phrase, your word, at your word, I will let down my net. It translates to this Greek word, rhema, R-H-E-M-A. It means this, a spoken word, watch, made by a living voice. Meaning this, a word from God that when received by the hearer creates faith to see the impossible. 
Watch where it's also used. Luke 138. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your rhema. And the angel departed from her. How about Romans 10 and verse 17? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema or the word of God. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching in the church that I was raised in in Seattle, Washington. And after I got done preaching, a lady came up to me afterwards. She said, Pastor, I have to tell you a story. You preached your first sermon ever in life here 20 years ago when you were 13. And God used something you said that I have built my life around ever since. She said, do you remember what you preached on? I said, absolutely not. I can't remember what I ate yesterday. I can't remember what I wore yesterday. In fact, sometimes that's the reason why I wear the same thing three, four days in a row. I just don't remember. <laughs> Go ahead, judge somebody else. I don't remember. <laughs> she said, you preached on worship. I go, Okay. She said, you talked about how we owe our worship to God in every season of life, regardless of the difficulty. How worship washes our perspective to see God for who He truly is. And I go, oh man, that's, that's incredible that you remember that. It's awesome. I, I'm glad it encouraged you. She said, no, you don't understand. She said, a few years ago when we were trying to have a baby, finally got pregnant and then lost the baby, it was that word that carried me through. She said, you don't understand what this word has done for me. Time and time again, through difficult season, I'll be throwing my hands up. God, what are you doing? And God will bring your words back to my ears. I can't get away from it. It was a rhema word that was released. And when it was released, my faith grabbed a hold of it and said, that's a word for me. See, that's what's happening here on Sunday mornings. It's not the eloquence of my speech. It's not the profound nature of my theological discoveries. It's not my immense revelation. It's we have created an atmosphere of faith by which common words become supernatural weapons for your destiny. That's what it means to get a rhema word. It means to attach yourself by faith to something God is releasing in a moment. You ever been in an atmosphere where your friend gets a prophetic word that you really wish you got? You know what I do in those environments? Thank you, God, for that word. I'm going to claim that word for me, too. Put it on a little over here. May his cup overflow just a little bit on me. I'm going to go ahead and receive that word from my house for this year as well. Because God is no respecter of persons. He fills every hungry heart. So let me just grab by faith a rhema word and apply it to my destiny. You don't need a prophetic word calling out your driver's license number, your social security number, your birth, date of place, your favorite food in order to receive something from God. You just got to use faith to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Oh, a Spirit can speak to you anywhere. In the car, in the shower, at work, on the toilet. But when you get in church, all of a sudden the Spirit speaks in a way that releases an incredible amount of faith. And in doing so, I believe, builds transformational stages for your life. Watch Simon Peter's reaction. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your rhema, I will let down the net. Watch Peter's reaction. I'm processing my past, but I'm going to trust you with my present. I've already done this before. 
I already gone ahead and believed you for that miracle before. I already believed you for restoration and reconciliation. I already believed you for breakthrough. I already believed you for blessing. I already tried to show up at church and nobody talked to me. I already tried to serve and nobody liked me. I already tried to put myself out there and I just got embarrassed. I already tried that and I got rejected. But at your word, I'm going to try again. Why? Because when a rhema word is released, it changes everything. A rhema word takes trial and turns it to triumph. A rhema word takes trial and turns it to testimony. A rhema word takes brokenness and turns it to blessing. A rhema word encourages you that if God was faithful in my past, he's going to be faithful in my future. And even if I don't see the fullness of it right now, I'm going to try, try again. Master, we toiled all night. Master, we already washed our nets. We already went in for the day. I already thought it was over. I already counted you faithless. I already thought there's no blessing coming my way. I already decided I'm going to have a bad year. I already decided I'm going to get divorced. I already decided I'm just going to repeat the cycle. I already decided I'm just going to stay stuck in sin. I already decided I'm just going to kill myself. I already decided I'm just going to be depressed. But at your word, let me get back in the boat. Go out to the water. Lower my net because there's some fish in the sea. preaching today that watch they had already washed their nets they had already fished all night they had already come to shore they had already finished their shift but this time it was different this time they had a rhema a word that changed everything it is the same boat it is the same net it's the same water it is the same fish it's the same disciple it's the same day it's the same climate but when God's word is in your work everything changes see Jesus could have worked this miracle any way he wanted but he had them operate as normal, watch, but this time under the power of his word. God doesn't remove the ethic of work. He adds the power of his spirit. See, remember, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. I think sometimes when we think about the way in which God works, we want him to supernaturally intervene in our story without our cooperation, without our participation, without our engagement, without our thankfulness, fix all the mess that we've made, and then take off so we can live life without him. And yet Jesus says this, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Why? Because friends know the master's business. And do you know the express purpose of knowing the master's business? So that you can participate in the business of the master. And what is the business of the master? Lives healed, families transformed, dead raised, sick healed, lepers cleansed. The kingdom of God at work advancing in and through your life in incredible ways. Your ongoing daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly spiritual development by which you are transformed into his image and likeness. That is the work of the master. And it requires your participation. And I know that we would love a God who would just come down and work out all of our spiritual muscles for us. But he's interested in relationship. And this God has invited you into transformation. He could have given fish to Peter any way that he wanted. You ever see the amount of ways that God does miracles in the New Testament? Coins appear in fish's mouth. Bread is multiplied. Lepers are cleansed. He spits in mud. People's eyes are open. Jesus does miracles all sorts of different ways. He could have had supernaturally fish appear on the shore. But he said, Peter, go back out to your boat. Go back out to that lake. Get back out with your friends. Use that same old net, but this time under the power of my word. Friends, Scripture teaches. Are you listening? Scripture teaches. Are you listening? Now watch what happens. 
It's the same boat. It's the same men. It's the same water. The thing that's different in this circumstance is that man's faith is catching up with God's timing. And when you place a demand on what God provides, even things that are out of time come into alignment. Think about the miracle at the wedding of Cana. Mary is there with Jesus and the friends of Jesus. Mary approaches her son and says they've run out of wine. And Jesus says two things. Number one, not my problem. Number two, not my time. And yet two verses later, we see that it is his problem and that it is his time. Why? Because the faith of a mother and the faith of friends put a demand on God to do what was always in his heart to do. Do you know what is always in God's heart? Healing. Do you know what is always in God's heart? Deliverance. Do you know what is always in God's heart? Salvation. The Bible says that God is willing that none should perish and that all should inherit eternal life. So what happens when somebody gets saved, translated out of darkness into light? Somebody is using their faith to be a mouthpiece, to be a witness, pulling somebody into the timing of God. It's in God's heart to do. So if revival is in God's heart, why haven't we had it? He's waiting for people to gather with faith to put a demand to move his hands. God says, it's in my heart to do something in the Northwest. It's in my heart to do something in your family. It's in my heart to do something in your sphere of influence. And when you add your faith to his, it creates a dynamic superhighway of agreement by which his kingdom comes to earth. Faith is what pulls the hand of God into alignment with the heart of God. I know God's heart. I know God's heart for this region. It's what I've been asking for. God, give me your heart for this people. Give me your heart for this city. Give me your heart for the Northwest. I hear his heartbeat. I hear what he's saying. I hear what he's speaking over the region. And my job is to use my faith, do everything as it is unto the Lord, to do my participatory faith, to engage with the things that he desires to do, and in doing so, create an agreement for God to show up and to show off. Now watch, I'm almost done. The Bible says this, when they'd done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at, at the knees of Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And when it's done under the Lord, it carries the necessary ingredients for supernatural results. Stephen feeding the widows, a normal activity producing supernatural results. Craftsmen building the temple, a normal activity producing supernatural results. Layman washing in the river, a normal activity producing supernatural results. You giving in the offering, a normal activity producing supernatural results. You going into the waters of baptism, a normal activity producing supernatural results. You showing up at church, a normal activity producing supernatural results. That's what it looks like to operate under the mighty hand of the Lord. When you receive a word and faith in your heart comes alive and you say, I'm going to live my life in accordance with the word that I've received, supernatural results follow. It's a normal activity, but it's done under the word of a supernatural God. Let me end here. Do you know what the, the immediate aftermath of this story is? Four fishermen are called to be disciples. It's Simon Peter, it's Andrew, it's James, and it's John. Jesus is 
is just doing a, a relatively low-key miracle. And the immediate afterward is that four young men are conscripted into Christ followership in such a way that will change not only their lives, but the lives of everyone that they come in contact to. And I was thinking about Luke 5 in the context of praying and seeking the Lord and asking Him, what is your heart for this year for our church? And here's what I heard the Lord say as He directed me to Luke 5, and I'm going to release it over you this morning. It is a season of suddenlies. It is a season of suddenlies. The disciples in the boat just dropping their nets in the water. And as soon as the net hits the water, so much fish are in the net that their boat is sinking and their net is breaking. A season of suddenlies. Immediately following the miracle, four young men reject fishing to follow Jesus. A season of suddenlies. Acts 2 and verse 2 in the upper room. And suddenly there was a sound. Acts 16 as Paul and Silas are worshiping in a Philippian jail. And suddenly there was a great shaking. All over the Old Testament, Scripture says, and suddenly God came to His temple. Friend, it's a season of suddenlies. Well, let me illustrate this for you in closing this morning. I think sometimes in our lives, when God's miracle catches up with our moment, we feel like an overnight success. Can I tell you the suddenly of Jesus was 30 years in the making? The suddenly of creation was seven days in the making. The suddenly of your story was nine months in a womb. The suddenly of your life, your fruitfulness, the things God is doing in and through your story is directly related to generations who came before you who with a simple yes and a response to God's word became part of a chain reaction that resulted in a suddenly that you find yourself in today. About 108 years ago, there was a group of seven women who gathered in Snohomish to pray that God would visit the region with revival. And 108 years later, a little church named Pursuit shows up on the scene. Not because there's anything great with us, but because there's everything great with Jesus, who in faith are coming into agreement with God's heart for revival and reformation in this region. Come on, friend, you're here today because you had an Abraham, you had an Isaac, you had a Jacob, you had a praying grandma, a praying grandpa, you had somebody who served and loved you when you was in youth ministry. You had somebody who changed your diapers in kids ministry. You had somebody who witnessed to you when you was a pagan. You had somebody who loved you when you didn't love yourself. You are here today as the result of a chain reaction of God's faithfulness that has resulted in a suddenly in your life. 
And what I'm asking you to be in 2021 is a living stone, a living pillar in God's house by which with simple obedience and simple faith, we set off a chain reaction in the generations that does exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Friend, this is going to be a year of suddenly for the pursuit. I'm going to make some announcements, some new cities opening up, some new campuses, some new opportunities. And you're going to think to yourself, it's happening too quickly. And I want you to remember this word. It's a year of suddenlies. The Lord spoke to me going into the second service. He said, there's parents here today believing for their prodigal sons and daughters to come back home. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a year of abrupt suddenlies. You'll get calls in the middle of the night. You'll get texts in the middle of the night. Mom, I'm coming home. Dad, I'm coming home. I've been far from God, but I'm coming home. It's going to be a year of suddenlies from God. You know, when you get a word from man, it about do nothing in your life. I've got all these words from man. Got all these words from YouTube. Got all these words from culture. Doesn't seem to be moving my boat. When you get a word from man, it's like blowing on a brick that's not gonna move. But when you get a rhema word from God, like Mary says in Luke 1, let every one of your words be fulfilled in me. None of God's words fall flat. Come on, friend, when you get a rhyme word from God, when His fresh breath comes upon your life's circumstances, when His breath fills the nostrils of your life, all of a sudden, when He breathes on the dry bones of what you thought was dead and over, a rhyme word has a chain reaction. Watch. Suddenly! I believe this is a year of suddenlies for your life. I believe this is a year of suddenlies for this church. I believe that this is a year of abrupt shifts in the spirit by which God aligns according to his spoken word. And I'm asking you today, friend, attach yourself to this rhema word. Attach yourself to this word by faith. Attach yourself to these scriptures by faith. Plant yourself in this house by faith. And together, let's see a suddenly of God that's been generations in the making. Come on. You believe that this morning? Would you stand with me as we close? I'm going to encourage you to be a bringer. I'm going to encourage you to be an inviter. I'm going to encourage you to let a friend, a family member, an in-law, an outlaw, somebody know about what God is doing in Stohomish. I'm going to encourage you to let them know we got 9 a.m. We got 10.30 a.m. We got 12 p.m. I'm going to encourage you, if it's your New Year's resolution to be in church, friend, be in church. Come on, let's be faithfully planted in the house of God. And let's see Him do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask think or imagine you and me together come on let's see god do incredible things let me pray for you father we love you come on god we honor you we say jesus do your best work in our lives god we say today we avail ourselves to the suddenly of your spirit we avail ourselves to the abruptness of your timing and god by faith
We say, may your hand match your heart for this house. By faith, God, would you put your hand on our families? Come on, our finances, our children, our children's children, our businesses, our spheres of influence. And God, would a suddenly of your spirit catch us up in what you have always desired to do. And God will give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, come on, if you believe that, would you just shout amen this morning?